0: Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast and our conversation about power in the church with Drs. Kyle Strobel and Jamin Goggin. It was such a thought-provoking discussion that it went long, so we split up the interview into two parts. Here's part one of our conversation. My name is Daniel Yang, National Director of Churches of Welcome at World Relief. And today we're talking to Drs. Kyle Strobo and Jamin Goggin. Kyle's a teacher, writer, and preacher. He's the Associate Professor of Spiritual Theology and Formation at Talbot School of Theology at Biola. And is a Professor of Biola University, Pastor at Mission Hills Church, and Director of the Center for Christian Formation. Together, uh, Kyle and Jamin have written Beloved Dust and The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, searching for Jesus' path of power in a church that has abandoned it. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, editor and chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Tablet School of Theology.
2: You know, I think, I think we're going to have a really fascinating and robust conversation today. And I think we can uh, we can have this kind of conversation in a way that sometimes will be funny, but sometimes will be pointed, because I think we can acknowledge that there are real issues with how we deal with power in the church, that we sometimes are caught up in those structures. Sometimes we create those structures. We wanna not be controlled by those structures, but what does that that mean and how does all that play out? So I'm super excited uh, about this conversation. I got to know Kyle, well, I read the book uh, when it was released, but but I got to know Kyle now serving here at the Talbot School of Theology. We have uh, our spiritual formation program. One of the things I learned, it's just particularly robust here and really kind of a surprising amount of spiritual formation. Uh, that comes when you go through any of the programs. It's it's pretty standard in all of our programs. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of it's a distinctive here at the Talbot School of Theology. And I think I think when you when I tell people that the conversation always becomes, man, do we need that today? And and yet it's interesting because we say that, yet we don't always value that because you have to find space in academic you know program and an academic you know listing of courses. To make that work. But we're trying to, we, we all see what happens on the other side, but then how do we address it? Now, I should say that, that the, the end result of this is us not going to be saying, you know, come do a master's with us in spiritual formation. You're welcome to. But I think the way of the dragon and the way of the lamb um, came out at a particular time when people were asking clear questions about what's gone wrong. And what do we do about it? Now, the title is, uh, well, the title is a bit strange, but you explain it. So where does the title come from and uh, what originally led you to write the book? Let's start with Kyle and then have Jamin Way in as well. Go ahead, Kyle.
0: Yeah, well, you know, in many ways, um, our story with this book started in seminary. Jamin and I went to seminary together and it was here studying New Testament, um, actually at Talbot, that we realized, wow, you know, we came to seminary. Um, to be great like we wanted to be awesome (laughs) we wanted to to win in the ministry thing and we kept on running into jesus saying things like you know the first shall be last and the last shall be first and um and a verse that really struck me from second corinthians 12 um you know my grace um um is um sufficient sufficient for you sorry i'm just getting over cold <laughs> that grace is sufficient i could just for
2: say <laughs> this is really going great for the academic credibility of the delvin school you
0: know paul says stuff you know, Stop um, paul that guy <laughs> for my power is made perfect in your weakness and i remember reading that i that my my high school bible had that whole section underlined and i remember going i believe that's true because the bible says it i believe it's true because jesus says it but i, I don't know what that means and Um, I grew up in in not only a church, but several churches um, in my young adult life that all had what we now call toxic leaders running them. And so I saw behind the scenes of what toxic leaders do. And one of the things that, that confronted Jamin and I as we began to wrestle with these things is, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what size of church you're in, no matter what kind of ministry you're in, even if you're not in ministry at all, officially in any kind of vocational role. Your view of power determines what you do and what you give yourself to. This is not not a question that some people have to think of. This is a question we all have to wrestle with. Well, what what really is power? And in particular, if Jesus says his power is made perfect in our weakness, how does kingdom power then relate to how we engage the world and, and kind of the things we give ourselves to? And so... The, the title to the book specifically comes from, um, actually a Eugene Peterson book. And Eugene Peterson is one of the people we interviewed. Um, part of the way of the dragon way the lamb was Jamin and I felt like when we started writing it, you know, many years ago now, we were in our young 30s and we kind of thought, I'm not sure young 30 year olds should be telling everyone what they should think about power and right. ministry. And I, it just kind of felt weird. And yet that's what we felt called to. And so. We went and kind of sat at the feet of people that we thought were sages in the way of Jesus. And in studying for those interviews, um, I remember reading a book called Reverse Thunder, which is Eugene Peterson's book on the book of Revelation. And in that book, he talks about the two ways that scripture gives us. And we see this all throughout scripture, right? There's the way of wisdom or the way of folly, the way of the world versus the way of the kingdom. Um, James three says the way of above, which is the way of Jesus, or the way of below, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the the dragon, which represents that evil way from below, is the way that is antithetical to the Lamb, who walks an entirely different path.
2: Fascinating. And 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 I want to come back to you, James, in just a second. The, you talked to you mentioned Eugene Peterson. Um, you talked to people like John Perkins, uh, Marva Dawn, Dallas Willard, uh, and others. And um, And I I do think it's interesting because, you know, Eugene Peterson was like everybody who kind of read Leadership Journal back in the day. Um, You'd have uh, Leadership Journal by Christianity at the time It's discontinued now. But I, I wouldn't say that what Outreach Magazine does where I serve as editor is not. It's kind of similar to some things what Leadership Journal has done. So you'd have this uh, Bill Heibel's thing. The church you grew up with is not a secret. We all saw you being born in a movie uh, with your father. You know, this is your <laughs> It's the weirdest thing. This is you yeah. know, Lee Strobel's. You know, right? You yeah, got yeah. the movie, and that's you're in the movie. Doesn't doesn't look like you, but you're in the movie. Um, um So we know you know. Obviously Willow Creek, that's there. So there always be this Heibel's article. Heibel's always the hero in the Leadership Journal. And then there was like, Eugene Peterson was sort of like allowed to be the person who would write the article in Leadership Journal and say, everything everyone else is saying doesn't make any sense. Just trust Jesus and be humble. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like people wanted Eugene Peterson to sort sure. of be the person that would uh, rebuke their hearts when they're drawn towards greatness. But they always took it with like three sides of greatness and one side of Eugene Peterson. So, and I and I don't, or maybe ten sides of greatness and one side of Eugene Peterson, and I think we see some of the consequences of that in American evangelicalism. So, Jamie, I mean, so what then? I mean, because you both have experience in, in large churches, large ministries, the good and the bad of that. It's a good. I, I often say of Mariners Church where I serve, it's it's everything beautiful. And everything terrible about a large Southern California megachurch. And it it, there were wonderful things and there are things that are not so wonderful in any situation like that. And and obviously I'm there, part of the team, thankful for it. But what what would you when you're kind of writing this, you're speaking into an evangelicalism that's still reeling from some scandals, some big high-profile failures, often around the use of power. Um, when you begin to write this, tell us where I really want to know about your heart struggle in the midst of this, because you're a pastor in a church. If you're primarily a pastor. We're thankful you teach with us at Talbot. If you're primarily a pastor. What's your heart struggle through this?
3: Yeah, no, I think so much of our least intended disposition with the book is to not invest our time merely pointing the finger at the problem of power out there. That, that became I think, clear to Kyle and I early on as we prayerfully leaned in to these questions was, oh, it turns out the problem of power is in here. And um, the kind of quest to be great, kind of drive of grandiosity to achieve certain things in ministry for the sake of our own glory, we knew that in our own hearts. And I think very early on in kind of the journey the Lord took us on with the project, which it really was a journey for us individually in our own formation. Was this recognition the Lord was inviting us to pay attention to our own hearts and, um, that perhaps we might gain the whole world, but we might lose something really important in the process as Jesus would say. And so I I think for me, if I were to kind of, um, collect some of what you said there in your question, I think for me, one of the real prevailing temptations has been throughout my vocation as a pastor, particularly in the early years of ministry, um, to look at the big, to look at the um, successful in worldly terms and to say, yeah, the problem of power is over there. Right? Or um, to look at certain models of doing ministry, certain philosophies of ministry that um, I quickly determined in my seminary years, I knew better than, as as we tend to do in our seminary years, and again, assign the problem of power um, to these locations. And so I think for me in particular, that journey the Lord took me on in my early years was to see, oh, you know, the truth is actually um, a young Jamin in ministry as a youth pastor uh, in a house with forty or fifty high school students hanging on my every word as a twenty-three-year-old, uh, then being asked to preach in big church because I was gaining a reputation for my intelligence and my uh, rhetorical skill, um, then being asked as a twenty-four-year-old whether I wanted to be an elder or not at this church. And you, you don't have to know what the word "elder" means in the Greek to know those two things don't really work, right? I don't what what where the cutoff is. I don't know. Timothy might 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 provide us with some fodder there but 24 is not an elder right but that early experience of kind of affirmation in my gifting um celebration of my competency and ability um, kind of a push to move me in positions of leadership beyond my spiritual maturity and that really kind of face-to-face experience with students even in the youth group hanging on my every word being compelled by my personality thinking i was cool right? As a young 20-year-old, the truth was this temptation of kind of power um, that is worldly, which for us is power from the self and for the sake of the self, right? Power, leveraging my own talents and abilities to achieve certain ends for myself and success and adoration, um, control. That, That temptation was just as much there for me in those days of serving as a youth pastor in a fairly small church as it was in the days I, I worked at a megachurch, which I did for many years. Now, of course, the kind of potential for fallout, the, um, the kind of spread of effect is uh, exponentially greater. The more human beings are involved and the larger an institution is and in its kind of capacity to leverage a certain form of power and how it goes about ministry. But all that to say, the temptation is no less there for any of us who serve in ministry in any capacity, right? And I, I could have spent all of those years as a youth pastor wielding my gifts, talents, and abilities to achieve kind of affirmation and success to climb up the ministry ladder. And that would have been no less problematic than some of the toxic forms of power i saw Mm -hmm. maybe in more obvious and kind of extreme forms that filled highlight filled the kind of headlines on an uh online article about another mega church pastor falling those choices perhaps may not have had the same uh capacity for effect but were no less deadly and serious spiritually speaking
1: You know, I know you, you guys uh, are, are not intending to disparage churches or church models or, or anything, but uh, the book does, does say that the way of power committed in Scripture is not the way of power that you've seen it um, in evangelicalism. And I'm curious as to what is it about evangelicalism, you know, because we can have this conversation uh, outside of Christianity and there are some similar shapes, you know, if it was in business or even education or other fields, there's some similar shapes but what is it about evangelicalism that makes this conversation either unique or even more difficult um, and and I want to uh, add a little bit of complexity to that because um we know we know every human being's heart is evil, and so but we also know that it's not just the human being. Is there something about the culture of evangelicalism that, that you see that seems antithetical to the way that scripture talks about power
0: you know I think with evangelicalism in particular, I think You know, Oz Guinness many years ago convinced me that whatever our greatest strength is, is also our greatest weakness. And one of our great strengths is we care about the world and we care about lost souls finding Jesus. And that is then also our one of our greatest weaknesses, because what ends up happening is we begin to judge things based on performance and based on kind of metrics of getting things done. And that would be different, say, for instance, if you want to contrast in a more sacramental church that might be kind of ambivalent about, or even a movement of sacrament, it's kind of ambivalent about the world that's the, the focus is primarily about kind of participate, participating sacramentally in the elements of a Sunday service or something like that. Evangelicalism has always had a grand vision of the world for the, for the sake of Jesus. Like, how can we, you know, rescue the world? And so the temptation among evangelicals tends to be to become worldly in very subtle ways as we try to meet the world on their own terms. And I think with the post revivals evangelicalism that ends up developing in America, particularly, we get a very pragmatically driven view of ministry and mission, where now we can think that, you know, we can actually wield worldly tools to further the kingdom. And and what Jamin and I discovered, which when we started this project, we weren't willing to say this quite yet, but we were forced into this by scripture and Marvodon in particularly forced us into this, was the realization that it wasn't only that, you know, people are kind of using the wrong tools or maybe not using the best, most kind of biblically faithful methodologies. It was that we were trying to wield demonic methods for the sake of the kingdom. And it turns out that what you sow, you will reap. And so that's what we were confronted with on this journey. It's, it's not simply that we kind of aren't doing the best things. It's that it's very easy to have good ends in mind that justify the means and the means become actually demonic and if you want that language, if you think that language is strong, that is just straight out of James 3.13.
2: Yeah, you know, I, go to, I think the language is strong. It's remarkably strong, and I think that it's probably worth us pressing in on, because right now, I can tell you, every one of our listeners saying, I don't want to be demonic, but <laughs> at the same time, are they meaning demonic that we have a smoke machine and abandoned our church? They mean demonic that we have a Leadership structure that is robust, you know one of the challenge and 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 I think we've even talked about this some, um um uh, Kyle and is that um leadership types Good. tend to say we've got to do these things, tell this story, organize in this way, and sometimes spiritual formation types you know, we, we talk about uh, our mutual friend Mindy Caliguire talks about you know jet fuel drinkers and candlelighters right so so though so nobody wants to use demonic means but to Continue that. The devil's kind of in the details. So, Jamin, what, because uh, I've come, come to you, Jamin, on purpose, because I mean, you're pastoring not a small church. Um, you're, I'm guessing that you're using tools of, uh, you're doing reviews on people. I don't, I don't think annual reviews are demonic, but I'm saying you're using tools of the world. You're using tools of the world. You know, the, there's no the second Opinions, chapter 4, verse 11, doesn't say you should have an annual review. My guess is you got an annual review. you got an HR department talks about compensation. you got all those things. So what's demonic and what's not when we're talking about church life? We're to you, Jamie.
3: Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the things that, that surfaces for me, uh, maybe first to kind of answer Daniel's question by way of a story and then to transition to Ed's connected question. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine not long ago who is leaning into church planting for the first time. About, about my age, you know, early mid forties, been in ministry for a long time. And there's been a whole process of kind of assessment as to whether or not he would be fit for quote unquote church planting. Um, the conversation is not whether he is called to be a pastor because apparently those are kind of two different things in the mind of this kind of institutional organization's process of discernment, because church planters uniquely have to be entrepreneurial. And so, um, but but notice what what quickly happens is we've now totally moved into a register that has nothing do to do with any of the biblical idiom about the church. Right. So now we're talking about whether or not he's entrepreneurial enough. And now we can maybe do some assessments as to whether or not he is or isn't. And in this conversation with my friend, after maybe about an hour of him expressing his concern about this and trying to weigh whether he had the right gift set or whether the, the strengths finder matched up with the entrepreneurial profile that was being looked for, he said to me, what do you think, Jamie? And I said, well, it sure seems to me like the thing a church needs is a pastor. <laughs> and it sounds like you really want to be a pastor and are called to be a pastor and have been a pastor. Yeah. Well, then that sounds like the right thing to me. To be a pastor. Like right, sounds like the right fit to me, whether or not you are entrepreneurial enough or not, whatever that means. Right. So part of what I'm driving at here is I think to answer your question, Daniel, is I think in evangelicalism um, and th- this, this kind of hoax at a really big question, but I'll say it anyways. I think there is a real vacuum of ecclesiology in my experience, in kind of broadly speaking, non-denominational evangelicalism, which I'm a part of, which tends to mean something like Southern Baptists. We just don't say we are, or something like that, <laughs> um, you know. But um, that has been much of my ex- my yeah. experience. Is there's a real vacuum in kind of ecclesiology, like yeah. what is the church, and therefore downstream of that, what is a pastor, and then down, downstream of that, what kind of governance or polity makes sense given what a church is and what this vocation of elder pastor is. And so where there is a vacuum, we, we that doesn't mean there's no longer a need. In other words, those questions still have to be answered. The church still has to be defined a particular way. We have to do things and be about something. The, the pastoral vocation has to be defined a certain way. We, they, they have to do something. Well, then a pastor, I guess, is a leader or an entrepreneur. There's, there's other words we can kind of grab hold of. But where there's a vacuum, we tend to fill it. And what we've filled it with is, by and large, kind of, corporate, uh, capitalistic, semi kind of psychosocial categories. And that bundle tends to do a lot of work for us. And there can be some things we can learn from those sectors of society, to be sure. But but I think in evangelicalism, we've, we've become so kind of unmoored from any of that biblical idiom and any sense of ecclesiology. So to answer your question, Ed, I think in part, and I'll let maybe Kyle speak this as well. My, my experience in the church is um, so often these two things get pitted against each other. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the Eugene position, the Eugene Peterson position is something like never counts anybody and to count anybody <laughs> is to be a, like a secular pragmatist. He was pretty hardcore. Like that, yeah. Right? Yeah. And the other side would be something like, well, we count people because people count. It's right. like, no, you count people because you like counting people, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it, it, it's I mean, may or may
2: not have used that phrase, so I'm not yeah, going to yeah. confirm hey, or deny.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am a guilty as charged <laughs> as well, I'm sure, at some point. But I think the question is, okay, so yeah, we, maybe we know a lot of the counting going on is for the sake of kind of assessing our own sense of accomplishment and defining our success along very worldly terms. Notice in doing that, Prayer is not required. Discernment's not needed. The categories of wisdom aren't necessarily up and running. We can measure it. We can count it. And then we can make decisions in light of it. But on the other side, right, the kind of ignoring of, boy, we haven't baptized anybody for like four years. Well, that would be good to know. Um, you know, it turns out that, uh, yeah, my eyes don't lie. We did used to have 400 people in the room, and now there's 20. <laughs> right, you know, and so what, what I'm getting at here, Ed, I think is maybe to try to answer your question is, no, I, I still very much um, want to know things like how many people did we baptize? Right. What is our attendance on a Sunday morning? Did people participate in our classes? But I think here's, here's where I want to kind of push us is to say, the question is, why are we asking those things?
2: Right, right. Are,
3: are those assessments in and of themselves sufficient for us to discern the work of the Lord. And I think we would all agree, no, they're not. There there are churches that have exploded in size that have not been faithful to the gospel. For sure. There are missionaries who have died on the fields having barely shared the gospel, if at all. And I don't think we'd want to say, well, do their numbers reflect success or not? Right. (laughs) Right? Okay, so the question is, now as I look at these numbers, whatever they may be, my, my staffing, my budget, uh, the buildings, the property, all the kind of things I might measure. Now I'm asking a question by faith of these things, Lord. What is this telling me about what really is going on in my church, and what is it telling me about whether or not we are maturing in love or not? What is it telling me about where you are at work? Maybe there's some things showing up in these numbers that actually reflect some surprising movement in my church. Like maybe what I'm noticing is, boy. We have a real growing elderly population. And be, truth be told, that wasn't part of my strategy for growing the next kind of it church in our county, <laughs> right? Um, but that's who the Lord seems to be bringing here. And that's, that's who's coming to faith. That's whose friends are being actually invited. What does it mean for me now to discern that rightly and pay attention to how I walk and step with the Spirit in light of what God is doing? So in other words, I don't want to throw out you know, any counting of anything, or right? Any assessments or any tools. And I, and I, and I, and I like that I want to use them Christianly. Right. I want use to use pers- those assessments okay. as a means of asking now, now discernment questions. Like, okay, I, I can look by sight and see what anyone else could judge, but now I actually have to look by faith. And that's going to require co-discernment. It's going to require require shared discernment. It's going to require recognition that even places of failure and weakness might in fact be things that we're not meant to hide, Mm -hmm. but we're meant to boast in that God's glory might be heralded in our midst, right? So it's going to result in some strange behavior that doesn't just equal more numbers, good, Lower numbers, bad. You know, numbers here that reflect positivity must mean we're being faithful. Well, that, that equation is far too simple.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. It's broken. And it, one of the things that came out of the church growth movement, you know, they, the actual capital letter CGM, church growth movement, was eventually methodological mania, where everything was basically measured on, you know, it's a miracle, success or not. I, I do want to come back though, because I'm, I, I want to, because really the demonic language, I think. Gets our attention, rightfully so, as you mentioned, like how, where it comes from. But the example you gave might, be, might help me understand. So you gave the example of the church planning assessment. Full disclosure, Jamin, I helped write and do some of the research that undergirds a lot of the stuff that is in and around church planning assessment. Don't worry, I'm, I'm with you. I actually think that it is misused in a lot of places. So I agree with, it. I think, everything you said about the importance of a higher view of ecclesiology, the function of elder, uh, you know, biblical roles in local churches, all those things. Uh, and i would ask though if there's a tool and we actually do find that you you encourage your friend to become a pastor i don't know if you encourage your friend to become a church planter but we do find that there are certain measurable characteristics that tend to uh to correlate to people uh, starting new things uh, when i did my first church planter assessment you know i started some businesses in high school i started this or that I started some bible studies and so they assessed me for that and they said you seem to like to start things and so They eventually, I passed a church planner assessment at some point and then used it for others. But let's take it away from that because entrepreneurial is a word that could be alarming for some people. But let's say we're sending a missionary. You gave that example. So we're sending that missionary and we can assess for cross-cultural adaptability. We can assess for linguistic skills. There are some tests that can teach us or help us to discern the process. So, but the challenge is, of course, those tools, when those tools become everything, and as you said, this person just felt called to be a pastor. So at what point, and again, I, I know I'm pressing here, but was your concern, either way you can answer? Because I want to get the question of what's demonic? How do we know we're engaging in demonic use of structures and systems in a way that dishonor the Lord and your example of the person needing to be entrepreneurial? I actually, and I would say too, in the way we church plant churches in this decade, there are different ways to do it. So not all of them require entrepreneurial, but the kind of thing where I'm going to fund somebody, you got to be up and running in three years, the mission agency is supporting you. So for me, I heard the entrepreneurial assessment and I'm like, you might've saved that pastor a lot of grief because probably that pastor wasn't wired to plan a church, but thank God they can be an amazing pastor. So how do I think about tools and how do I not let the tools take over and become demonic? Either of you can weigh in. I'd like to actually hear from both of you to help mm-hmm. us understand that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, it's, the, this actually comes down to a question we probably get the most about the book, which is about spiritual gifts in general. Yeah. Um, Because since the early nineties, when that conversation really exploded at, you know, in many places, Willow, that was Willow Creek's massive network. Willow Creek network. It was the That's thing right. they
2: exported to everybody.
0: That is exactly right. But the way they exported it was secular. Yeah. Right. Because Fair. basically spiritual gifts were just natural abilities. Right. That didn't need the spirit at all. I mean, I remember learning at Willow Creek, you know, like, oh, my, my, I, I have a brand new, you know, baby, and I could already start seeing their spiritual gifts emerge. And it's like, no, (laughs) you're, you're seeing their talents. Right. Um, But here's what we, here's what we often see going on, I think. And this is where people get confused because they hear second Corinthians 12 and they begin thinking, well, wait a second, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. So I guess I, do strength finders to find out what I'm strong and do the opposite. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. That seems <laughs> weird. And that would be weird. <laughs> right. And, and here's what I would say about this. And Jamie and I've talked about this. And here's what we would say about this. You know, in, in most, in most cases it appears, and it even seems this way in church history, God actually does a call us in places. We have a lot of natural gifts and abilities. And in those circumstances, our weakness is actually relying upon those instead of the Spirit. So it, it seems like actually a lot of people that are rhetorically gifted are called into pastoral positions. Well, now that is like the thorn of the flesh. Hmm. Like now they have every time they go out of the pulpit, they, they have to go willingly knowing, Lord, I can do this. I know I can wow this crowd. Lord, I need you because ultimately the fruit will only be of you if I'm residing and resting upon the spirit rather than just wielding myself. Now, the, all that being said, we have to keep in mind, that means there's going to be a segment of people. And I think Moody is actually one example of this. Now, I don't know how, how much we take some of the like contemporary with Moody kind of um, explanations of his ministry, but it sounds for all practical purposes that this guy wasn't didn't have natural gifts and abilities. <laughs> And it just was an act of the spirit. So it means that, that at times there's going to be a person that has no entrepreneurial gifting whatsoever that says, I, I think I'm called to plan a church. And, and it's, it's going to be like, yeah, the spirits at work. And so this is where we have to hold these things loose. Again, the actual like tools aren't bad and we need to be aware. And I think the tools have helped us become aware of all the ways oh, wow, look at, these are natural things. It'd be easy for me just to kind of say, oh yeah, the spirit or, or you know, throw out these lines, oh, you're the glory of God, even though it's all to the glory of me. Right. And I think that's where we have to, to wrestle with the language in scripture about the demonic is tied to the language about this for the self and from the self language. So, so that's the
2: demonic expression is for the self and from the self.
0: That's right. Okay. And, and, and it's tied to these kind of worldly systems of mm-hmm. power, um, for the sake of control and domination. So you think of even in Mark 8, when Jesus calls Peter Satan, it's because he wants to have Jesus establish himself as a king and Messiah according to worldly standards rather than the cross. And he's rebuking Jesus, who's talking about dying for the sake of the sins of the world, because that's not the power system he's interested in. And it's interesting that Peter, that, that Jesus names Peter Satan in that regard. And, and it's because he, Jesus tells him, it's because you're setting your mind on the things of man. And in James three, we see the things of man, the things of Satan and the things of this world are bound together in a single system of power that are defined by selfish ambition and jealousy. Hmm. And it was Marva Dawn that when we interviewed her for the book, who told us, if you want to see selfish ambition and jealousy, just go to a pastor's conference.
2: Wow. Wow
0: and and we knew that because we've been there we've we've been jealous at these things sure we've been on you know we've been making what we thought were the right decisions watching people we knew weren't faithful who are exploding in the ministry and being lauded everywhere for how great they are and and we were brooding in jealousy about Mm. that
1: That concludes the first part of our interview with Kyle Strobo and Jamin Goggin. Join us next week for part two, where Kyle and Jamin share how church leaders can resist the way of the dragon in their lives and ministries. Be sure to check out their book, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, searching for Jesus's path of power in a church that has abandoned it. Thanks again for listening to the Our Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcasts. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, I'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.
0: You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com.
1: Thanks for listening!